Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub with the Minocqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Minocqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Minocqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. And I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I'm Pat Kreitlow, and on the show this week, uh, we, re- we revisit uh, fun and games with insurrectionists and the 14th Amendment and um, trying to not waste time because there's only so much time till filing deadlines. I mean, we're still talking about redistricting and districts that aren't set up, but you know, before we get to candidates who should or shouldn't be on the ballot, uh, we should maybe consider if any of them are traitors. And, you know, that that maybe should not be there. So Kirk has lined up a, a guest from, uh, I don't have it in front of me here, the Free Speech for the People group. Who's going to be talking about that because uh, Kirk, as you know, has been involved in, in a little lawsuit about that. So we'll, we'll be talking about that a little later on. But uh, we'll start here with just some quick reflections on spring elections uh, that were held this week uh, across Wisconsin. And you know, we've done a lot of reporting at Up North News about the uh, the unfortunate uh, tone of a lot of these campaigns um, on social issues. There's a lot of uh, scary, downright disgusting talk being done that's anti-trans, anti-gay. Um, but I'm I am pleased to see that in Eau Claire, at least, uh, the three uh, conservatives uh, were turned back by voters. Uh, I'd, I'd kind of like to see if you guys saw good or bad or in different returns in your parts of the state. Yeah, so um, we got sort of a mixed bag, um, but reason to be really hopeful. So the the moderates definitely prevailed. The extremists uh, were kept off the school board in Hudson, which was nice. The county board leans slightly conservative, but we got some really good good government uh, brass tacks candidates into office. The one thing that stood out to me, though, is how afraid of voters the Republicans were this time around. We couldn't use drop boxes and we couldn't even bring our spouse's absentee ballot in. So you have husband and wife or husband and husband or wife and wife or whoever, you know, your person is walking in to City Hall together to hand their ballots. It was uh, actually quite ridiculous. Well, uh, our neck of the woods uh, up north, uh, we were focused on Oneida County and Lincoln County. Uh, we let uh, the folks in Wausau, you know, there's a lot of progressive groups there, uh, kind of handle their own stuff. So we focused. It was it was a mixed bag. In Oneida County, uh, I think the Rhinelander School Board headed off the extremists as well, just like in St. Croix County. Um, so so I think the school boards are in, are in, are in decent shape uh, where we are. Uh, the Oneida County uh progressives running for county board uh a lot more women uh got into uh on the board who are progressive uh there was like almost zero women before and uh you know but some 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 republican incumbents kept their seats so it's a mixed bag lincoln county unfortunately uh didn't go so well i don't think for democrats uh, our good friend hans who's been on our show who's like the leader of uh of uh, the gerrymandering movement in Wisconsin, a good government guy. He never was really progressive or conservative. Just wanted to do right by his county. He was uh, he was beaten uh, last yesterday, as long as well as some other guys that have been on the board a long time who were good government guys. So that wasn't what things didn't go so well in Lincoln. But that that's what I was focused on. 
Well, and I don't doubt for a moment that Hans uh, Breitenmoser is going to continue to be active on these issues um, because he does know how important it is and does not necessarily have to have a county board seat uh, to get that done. So we're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the next round of elections and uh, who should or shouldn't be on the ballot uh, with our guest. We'll be back. You're up north. In my mind, I'm gone to Carolina. Can't you see the sunshine? Can't you just feel the moonshine? Ain't it just like a friend of mine to hit me from behind? Yes, I'm gone to Carolina in my mind. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. We all remember January 6, 2021, but a lot of folks who are, you know, living their lives don't know the exact date when U.S. politics was forever changed by one of the worst U.S. Supreme Court decisions of our time. And of course, we're talking about the Citizens United case, the case where the conservative justices opened the floodgates for dirty money to corrupt our campaigns, and has it ever. That decision was handed down January 21st of 2010. Uh, believe me, I remember it well. Um, I w- it was directly contributed to the Tea Party wave that year that uh, took me out of the legislature and continues to plague our country to this point. But it was also on that day that the group Free Speech for the People was formed. The group continues to fight to restrict big money in politics, but also launches innovative, even groundbreaking legal actions to ensure that people can participate equally in our democracy and defend its core principles. And there's just nothing more core about defending democracy than taking the fight to those who would sell out our founding fathers, trash our elections, and embrace authoritarian leaders. So, Kirk, that's where you come in with a lawsuit you've been a part of, not unlike what Free Speech for the People has done with our guest, uh, John Boniface. So, Kirk, why don't you tell us a bit more? So, so we're going to introduce John Boniface in a second. But the reason I found this erudite and, and wickedly smart gentleman was because he filed, or his group filed the first 14th Amendment disqualification uh, lawsuit against Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina. That's why we played, if anybody was listening, Carolina on my mind by the famous James Taylor. We'll play Georgia on my mind uh, uh, very soon in the next segment uh, for other reasons. But so when when I saw that uh, that lawsuit, I was like, I called a few lawyers in Wisconsin and I said, guys, like if there's anybody that's about as traditionist insurrectionist, you know, in America, it's a couple of our congressmen and states and our uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson. I was like, can we do this? And uh, like there was about three groups that said, nope. <laughs> there was a couple a couple other ones that said, oh, uh, that's a long shot. Uh, you know, we don't we don't want to take it on. We don't want to irritate our conservative businesses that we have to be lawyers for. But I found a great law firm that actually are corporate a trial attorneys who actually have irritated some of their more conservative clients, but we're, re- we're willing to do it for the sake of uh, Wisconsin and our democracy. And so the reason I'm leading up to this is that we have the guy that started this whole movement on the show tonight, and his name is John Bonifaz. So John, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you for having me. Good to be with you, Pat and Sarah. So just the first question, um, you know, we'll get to the Madison Cawthorn. We'll get to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, why? Uh, what, what started this? Uh, what started? Wh- why did you start your organization? And, and what what led you to kind of think up this idea of using the 14th Amendment uh, to 
remove some of our kind of insurrectionist Congress people from office. Yes. Well, as Pat said in that generous introduction about free speech for people, we were launched on the day of the Citizens United ruling, and we've been involved in multiple fights across the country for more than a decade to defend our democracy and our constitution. And as Sarah highlighted at the outset, we're dealing here with an insurrection that occurred January 6, 2021, and an existential crisis for our democracy. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment makes clear that if you have taken an oath of office to defend the Constitution, and then you engage in insurrection or give aid or comfort to it, you are forever barred from holding future public office again. So we looked at that critical constitutional provision, and we decided it was necessary to launch a campaign, which we call 14.3 campaign, uh, to deal with the reality that there are people across the country who have taken an oath of office to defend the Constitution and participated in the January 6th insurrection and are now seeking to go back into power or retain power. And this is precisely what the framers of the 14th Amendment sought to prevent. They were focused at that time on ex-Confederates after the Civil War who were in positions of government power or attaining positions of government power. And they put this into the 14th Amendment to ensure that people who had taken that oath of office and engaged in that first insurrection in our nation's history, the Civil War, would be barred from holding future public office again. We're now dealing with the second insurrection in our nation's history, January 6, 2021. And there are people, including Madison Cawthorn, who need to be barred from appearing on the ballot again because of the role they played in the insurrection. So combination of looking at this as a spectrum kid and a former district attorney or deputy district attorney where the cases I brought were with the good faith belief that I could prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt at trial. This seems so straightforward. So one of the reoccurring questions is, well, do you think you have a chance? And it seems like such a simple question to me. And so my question to you is, why do we have this mental block? You know, if looking at the facts and applying them to the law, this seems like a very straightforward issue. Why the controversy or this mental block that we could, you know, not be successful, I would expect us to be if we're following the letter of the law and looking at the facts and my dog agrees. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. I, I fully agree. I mean, the, the reality here is that we did have an insurrection on January 6th that was not only uh, stated by Mitch McConnell himself and by Trump's impeachment counsel at that second impeachment trial, but it's been stated by federal judges. It was stated by the House representatives in their impeachment charges. Uh, it's been recognized by constitutional scholars all across the country. This was an insurrection. And then the question comes, if you took that oath of office and engaged in it, you were barred uh, from public office again. And Section 3 of the 14th Amendment doesn't require a criminal conviction beforehand, doesn't require a court tribunal beforehand. It's very clear and straightforward that it's about the, the threat to the republic that you present as someone who took that oath and then engaged in an insurrection, not being able to be in position of government power again. And that's why we think it's, it's critical that state election officials all across the country follow the mandate of Section 3 and bar from the ballot people in their state, including Donald Trump, if he runs again from appearing on the ballot. But it also means that voters have the right in certain states, including in North Carolina, to bring challenges 
to candidates who are disqualified. And that's what we're doing in North Carolina with respect to Madison Cawthorn. And yet, for as straightforward as it seems to be for uh, a lot of folks, a, a, a judge disagreed uh, in, in the first attempt at this. We've talked about this on the show before, but it was several weeks ago. And so, John, you want to review uh, just the, the legal play-by-play of, of uh, what a judge ruled, and then that's going to get us into um, an op-ed in the Chicago Tribune that our own Kirk Bankstead was a part of uh, talking about. But let's let's set, set the pieces up and, and tell us what happened in court at first. Yes. Yeah, so we filed uh, the, the challenge before the North Carolina State Board of Elections against Madison Cawthorn on behalf of a courageous group of voters in his district. And then he rushed to federal court to try to block this challenge from being heard. And the case got assigned to Judge Richard Myers in the Eastern District of North Carolina, who happens to be a Trump appointee. And the Cawthorn attorneys argued a number of things. One, they argued the entire state statute that's been around for years that allows for these voter challenges ought to be invalidated on due process and First Amendment grounds. They also argued that Congress and only Congress has the power to determine who gets seated, ignoring the reality that if you, you know, don't have state officers enforce uh, the constitutional qualifications, that would mean that a 10 year old could get on the ballot, could win election. Then it's Congress's role only to decide whether that 10 year old doesn't get seated or to put it more starkly, Vladimir Putin could decide to run for Congress and, and get on the ballot without the state having any authority whatsoever to remove him. So that clearly can't be true, but that's not, he, the judge didn't buy any of those arguments, uh, at least didn't rule on them. What he ruled on was the last argument they made was that the Amnesty Act of 1872, uh, which provided amnesty to, to ex-Confederates after the 14th Amendment, there was an ability to provide that amnesty to bring the country together was the view on behalf of President Ulysses Grant and the Congress at that time. Uh, and, and so to no longer have the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment enforced against those Confederates, that that Amnesty Act also provided amnesty for all future insurrectionists, including Madison Cawthorn, that 150 years later, what they meant to do in 1872 was effectively nullify Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which you can't do without another constitutional amendment. And it's completely absurd. And it's on appeal. We're appealing it to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. The Constitutional Accountability Center has weighed in with an amicus brief, Lawrence Tribe, a Harvard Law professor, preeminent constitutional law scholar has weighed in. Uh, and, and we believe it needs to be reversed. There's no basis whatsoever that the Amnesty Act of 1872 protects Madison Cawthorn. Okay, so let me pivot just slightly because it's exactly along the lines of what you're saying. Um, after this case was filed and after that, uh, I'll just say the Trump lawyer, I can't remember his name, uh, but in, in, in the Carolina, Bopp. huh? James Bopp. James Bopp in, in North Carolina. Oh, Cawthorn attorney. the yeah. Cawthorn case, the, the Trump judge, uh, there was that kind of led, uh, a fellow by the name of Hans von Spakovsky, uh, from the Heritage Foundation to write an op-ed that was published in the Chicago Tribune last week that said your case, your case, your case against Cawthorn, your case against Marjorie Taylor Greene, which we will introduce in the next segment. But there's another case that these guys are uh, have against Marjorie Taylor Greene, and our case, uh, as long as the case in uh, New Mexico, which is also it's it's a little different case. It's with a county executive. 
uh, using the disqualification clause is all are all baseless for the same reason that that judge came up with that said that uh, you know that uh, this basically this uh, the 14th amendment to the US Constitution has been nullified by by an act of Congress, which you just can't do. So we wrote at, we found and it was it's kind of amazing because this is in Wisconsin, we found that the 14th Amendment and the disqualification clause was actually used against a socialist congressman from Milwaukee in 1918 from Milwaukee we had these sewer socialists that were all for good government but they were he was against World War one probably because he was German and he didn't want to you know he didn't want a US to get into World War one and 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 they removed him using the disqualification clause way after the amnesty laws in the late 1800s they removed, removed him in 1918 so that's a direct usage of this Right. The law of this. So it's what talk about that a little bit, because it's like it's like it, it completely nullifies this argument. It does. And, and you know, there's no question that's a, that's a precedent. But so, too, is the legislative history and the text of the Amnesty Act and of the amendment language itself, the, the Section three. So I think all this combined uh, shows that Judge Myers uh, made uh, you know a clear error with the law here. Uh, and and that's why we're appealing it. But I will say that, you know, not only will Judge Myers not have the last word, the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to review this, but there's now a separate case uh, that, that has been filed in federal court, this time in our Georgia case against Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Judge Amy Totenberg is holding a hearing uh, there on Friday in Atlanta on those same arguments and the same attorney, James Bopp, on behalf of Cawthorn is making those arguments on behalf of Green. So, you know, it's just it's just uh, inaccurate to say that this one Trump district uh, uh, judge, district court judge is going to stop uh, these proceedings. He's not. This is going to go forward in other states, including, as you highlight, in Wisconsin. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the ruling is just wrong and will be reversed, in my view. Well, and it seems like very powerful messaging potential here. The slippery slope of allowing an act of Congress to nullify or act as a, an amendment to the Constitution. I mean, just take the Second Amendment. We're a big Second Amendment state. And if you get a, a liberal Congress who comes in and says, OK, no more guns, you know what they've been selling people for years you know, the Republicans would lose their mind. So do we do the Republicans really want to go down this path where this is the, the precedent? Well, exactly. But also, I mean, frankly, you look at the history of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, they debated making it solely uh, to apply to the Confederates. They actually had that debate in Congress when they decided whether or not to pass the 14th Amendment. And they decided, no, we're not going to have it apply solely to the Confederates. We're going to have it apply to future insurrections. Four years later, that same Congress passed the Amnesty Act of 1872. So it makes absolutely no sense to think that what they intended to do was to wipe out Section 3 of the 14th Amendment when they had just had that debate four years earlier that it wouldn't solely apply to Confederates. So do you want me to read the quote by Senator Waitman Willie of West Virginia uh, when <laughs> when they intended, this is when they were debating the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, this old, you know, this hundred some year old uh, senator said, Waitman Willie of West Virginia said, Section 3, as a permanent provision of the Constitution, is intended to operate as a preventative of treason hereat hereafter, 
by holding out to the people of the United States that such will be the penalty of the offense if they dare commit it. Hereafter, it's not just yeah. because of the Confederate. Well, the so, Confederate. so let me ask this basic question then. So we, we've gone on at some length here about this judge appointed by Trump who made this, this terrible decision that's, that seems wrong on its face. So why hasn't it been slapped down at this point by, by some higher level? Well, so the reality here, again, is that this judge on March 4th issued this ruling, knowing the ballots were about to get printed. And after he issued it, uh, we rushed to the appeals court to try to have it reversed right away. They said, first, you need to make sure your intervention motion gets reheard before Judge Myers. And they said, we want Judge Myers to do it on an expedited basis. So we went right back to Judge Myers hours after that ruling with a refile motion intervene. Okay. He sat on it for two weeks. He oh, sat on it. Oh, okay. Finally that, ruled. So he's that, dragged his feet. And now we're back finally after he denied the motion intervene a second time. So that's why we're not yet gotcha. uh, getting a ruling from the fourth circuit, but they could now rule any day. At this there point. you go. Okay. Sounds good. We're going to take a break right here. When we come back more from John Boniface from free speech for the people, you're up North. <laughs> So let me die. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. Just an old sweet song. Keeps Georgia on my mind. Cabin. This is the Up North podcast and old timey radio show. Uh, your disc jockey, Kirk Bankstead, picking out Carolina on my mind and Georgia on my mind. Two beautiful states who currently have two very not beautiful politicians representing them, and they are at the center of our discussion this week. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Kirk Bankstead and Sarah Yacoub. We are back with John Boniface, co-founder and president of Free Speech for the People, a group working to fix our broken election laws so that people can participate more fairly. And they're also leading the fight to ban insurrectionists from the ballot this November and in 2024. So, uh, so John, we had to go to a commercial break, uh, and, and you just started talking about something that really grinded my gears, and that was the fact... And that's a colloquialism that I hope exists further out, outside of Wisconsin as well. But uh, I was uh, if the same judge that used the craziest uh, reason to disqualify your case also waited for two weeks to rule on some minor motion that you had in order to appeal this case. Can you kind of further explain seemingly what the miscarriage of justice that's happening with your case in, in North Carolina? Well, certainly before this judge, we, we do not think we were treated fairly in any way, but that's why, you know, we have moved forward in getting this before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. But look, we, we filed a motion to intervene on behalf of our clients, voters in Cawthorn's district who brought this challenge before the State Board of Elections. We filed that right after Cawthorn filed a federal lawsuit. At that time, Judge Myers, this Trump appointee, ruled that we were denied our ability to intervene on the theory that our interests were completely aligned with the State Board of Elections, and therefore they could argue 
uh, our interests and we weren't needed in the case. Now, leaving you know aside that theory at that time in terms of whether or not that was true, it was clear once he ruled and, and ruled that the Amnesty Act protected Cawthorn, and once the State Board of Elections was not rushing to appeal this, that our interests were no longer aligned, even if they were up until that time. And so we went right to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit uh, with the argument that, you know, our interests are not aligned and we uh, need to have the right to have a stay of his injunction that he issued barring this hearing from taking place before the State Board of Elections. They issued very quickly after we filed that emergency motion for a stay, they issued an order uh, you know, that basically said to Judge Myers, you need to, on an expedited basis, consider again their motion to intervene. And we refiled it hours later, and he sat on it from March 17th until March 30th. And the ballots were getting printed on March 28th, and he knew that. And so we, we finally got that ruling on March 30th, and now we have promptly appealed the very next day, March 31st, to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit, and, and Cawthorn has now responded as of yesterday. So everything's fully briefed for the Fourth Circuit to rule, but it didn't have to take two weeks. And not only did he take two weeks, but his, in his two weeks, he, he ultimately ruled that our motion was denied again, this time because it was untimely. Oh, man. (laughs) And I know, uh, John, you can appreciate as an attorney, we have to present this idea that, you know, everybody operates in good faith always. And so when you're practicing and these things happen, you're like, okay, I need to talk about this, but how? So I appreciate how you're you're doing this with us today. Um, Okay, so let's get our listeners up to speed on Marjorie Taylor Greene and what's going on in Georgia. Can you enlighten us? Yes. So on March 24th, we filed uh, the challenge to Marjorie Taylor Greene's eligibility to appear on the ballot in the 14th Congressional District in Georgia. Let's let's remind everybody that Marjorie Taylor Greene is that Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yes, that that Marjorie Taylor Greene. Okay, okay. Like the worst, the worst, like even worse than our guys, I think, in Wisconsin. But okay, go for it, John. And and she too, like Madison Cawthorn, played a role in facilitating the January 6th insurrection. She promoted political violence leading up to it. She said it was our 1776 moment. The day of it, she was there supporting it. Uh, and and that's why she needs to also face this challenge. So we filed that before the Secretary of State of Georgia, where it first has to land, and then he immediately transferred it over uh, to an administrative law judge who has scheduled a hearing for April 13th on this matter. John, I want to hear more of it, but what you said, we just can't let l- listeners... I mean, you're a lawyer. I'm a propagandist, all right? So like when I, when I hear something I think people need to hear, I want to stop and make sure everybody hears it. Madison Cawthorn gave tours around the Capitol. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said this is our 1776 moment, which means that it's time to rebel. It's time to fight. It's time to commit, uh, have a battle. It's time to, you know, it's, t- it's, it's time to rise up against your government. So that's, that's the reason you're suing her is because she did easily provable things to help an insurrection designed to overthrow uh, uh, a peaceful transition of power. Yes. And it wasn't just, you know, that one tweet. The reality is that 1776 moment was code language that was being used uh, prior to the January 6th insurrection leading up to it 
uh, for, for months, really, with respect to what was going to happen on January 6th. So that, that's really what was at stake when she said that. Uh, and my clock with the chimes is agreeing with me. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, Kirk, let's get, let's get this. People have been listening to stories out of Carolina and Georgia, complete with music. And they're saying, wait, 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 what does this mean for us in Wisconsin? What does this yeah. mean for our people? So, so, you know, John filed against Madison Cawthorn. It gave me the idea. Uh, we did the same thing he did. Like, like we, we, we ask citizens of Wisconsin in both John, uh, Scott Fitzgerald's district down in like Jefferson County, uh, Tom Tiffany's district where I'm from up in northern Wisconsin, and then folks throughout the state of Wisconsin who thought that uh, Ron Johnson, uh, you know, aided and abetted the insurrection. So while John started it, I think that we've got the biggest one because we're suing three of our congressmen in, in Wisconsin. And and uh, they were all served uh, uh, last week. Uh, they have 21 days to respond. They have lawyered up with lawyers throughout the country who have nothing to do with Wisconsin uh, that are kind of donor-ish folks to the Republican Party. Um, and and we have a kind of a different case that, that John does because uh, we've outlined th this conspiracy. It's not just Marjorie Taylor Greene's like helping insurrectionists actually overthrow the Capitol on that specific day. Uh, that's the difference. We, and our Madison Cath Cawthorn, like giving tours to like, you know, the Oath Keepers or whatever, you know, the day before the, uh, the January 6th. Our our argument is a little bit more broad, saying that uh, because we had these congressmen who had been told previously by uh, Trump's lawyers that in order to overthrow the election, you had to have Pence uh, throw out uh, fraudulent, uh, you know, both sets of fraudulent, uh, fraudulent electors, the real set of electors, the, you know, the you know electoral college electors in every state and then a fake set in order to get them to do that and, and then be able to like overthrow the will of the people in certain states, the seven states where there was fraudulent electors, including Wisconsin, you had to confuse the electorate. You had to just keep on repeating this big lie to freak out everybody and think that there was just incendiary, fraudulent, you know, elections going on. The only way you could take away the will of the people is to confuse them so much uh, that they would say, "Okay, I guess, I guess we should throw out all the electors and start over again." Uh, so that's the difference of our lawsuit is that we said it's it's a conspiracy that involved everybody it involved senators it involved congressmen it involved trump it involved his lawyers and all of them should really be going to jail all of them should really not be not allowed to run but these three are the worst in wisconsin and because we care about wisconsin we're going to sue these three and as we've talked about previously with with two of them with Fitzgerald, you had, as was discussed a week or two ago, making the arrangements for the fake electors to have a to have a meeting room in the state capitol on the same day. And sometimes I feel like the only one that that won't let go of this particular bone, but Tom Tiffany signing on to that Texas lawsuit, trying to get Wisconsin's votes turned out, which of course the court said no, nobody from Texas can sue to have Wisconsin's votes, you know, thrown out. But Tom Tiffany signed on to it. That, that would invalidate his own votes. It invalidates the vote that elected him. Exactly. So there's, again, there's so many moving pieces here that we urge people not to let your eyes glaze over. We've got good people like 
John here who are following all those all those moving pieces, Kirk. But I, I probably interrupted when you were going to kind of finish up the the point of where we're at in Wisconsin here. Well, that's where we're at in Wisconsin. So um, the what I wanted to say is the reason we had to file and we filed so quickly after this North Carolina case is because in order to get cases through the federal government with everybody's has is allowed to do discovery is everybody is given time to formulate their rebuttals justice does not move fast the the judicial system does not move fast and i fear in 2022 that we're going to have traitors to our country re-elected because the federal court system just doesn't work fast enough not because they didn't rule in our favor it's because they don't work fast enough and so uh so i wanted to ask john you know what did are you worried about time here and and why and and did you file these suits because you weren't hearing anything from the uh, from Merrick Garland and the uh, the uh, you know Attorney General of the uh, United States about where they were going with these suits with these with these cases? Well, we definitely we definitely filed these challenges because we thought it was critical to defend this constitutional provision, uh, and, and and it's a nonpartisan defense of, of the Constitution. But you know you're right, Kirk, to raise the question of Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice. We are are very uh, disturbed by the fact that there's been no accountability from a criminal prosecution standpoint for Donald Trump and his associates for all federal crimes uh, that they have uh, committed. No accountability for the role in the insurrection, no accountability for the obstruction of justice, no accountability for defrauding the United States, for the conspiracy to overturn the election. And I understand people may say, well, he's still building the case. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't buy that. I think, unfortunately, what's happening here is that politics has gotten in the way, quite frankly, just like it got in the way with Bill Barr, but for a different reason. And with Bill Barr, the attorney general, he was basically the attorney for Donald Trump. He wasn't the attorney for the United States. But now we have Merrick Garland in, in a political way deciding, you know, it's too dangerous to indict a former president. It could start a civil war. It would undermine the agenda uh, of the Biden administration, whatever it may be that he's decided, but but there's no other explanation as to why with all the facts that he had coming into that office of attorney general, that there's been no accountability whatsoever for Donald Trump and his associates to this day. And again, you know, looking at this as a former deputy district attorney, your role is to be the bad guy. It should not be a brewing company and civilians shouldering this load. So that just boggles my mind. But, you know, with the, all the gaslighting of Trump's Republican Party, it really is refreshing to have folks like you remind us grass is green, sky is blue, that the truth is the truth. What advice do you have for grassroots groups who see it and who want to contribute, who want to push back against this false narrative that we're just being beat over the head with about the big lie? Well, I actually think that the, the great way that, that people can get involved is to stand up in their, in their states for Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, because it is a form of accountability. If Merrick Garland and Department of Justice are not going to do their job, uh, you know, if the Manhattan district attorney, as he has done, is going to drop his investigation into uh. fraud that Donald Trump has committed, you know, then then this is a parallel way for people at the grassroots level to get involved. You can reach out to your chief election official in the case of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Elections Commission. You can demand they follow the mandate, irrespective 
of what voters are doing in, in courts, as we have been discussing, these election officials have the responsibility to ensure that no one's on the ballot who's disqualified. And, and, and that, I think, is a grassroots campaign. We're doing that with our revolution all across the country. And we urge people to join us in this fight. It's really not that much different than, you know, the, the Tea Party in 2010 was was just all the time. They were relentless with the messaging, false, but relentless on the messaging. And that's really what we should hear this Absolutely. time around from people as well as to be relentless about the, you know, the 14th Amendment and not allowing some of these people to serve. It, I, go ahead, Kurt. It, it just it grinds my gears again <laughs> that we have Democrats that aren't holding these guys accountable. I mean, am I just nuts in like thinking that our democracy could fall apart if we don't hold these guys accountable? I feel like like sometimes I'm just nuts thinking that no, thing. No, John? no, you're not. And I mean, John and I, we've been watching again, the Manhattan DA, all of this. It it makes no sense. And we don't know, as I was t telling you in the break, if this is building up to some grand crescendo or if, if we're, we're just going to let down which is why we need folks like John to continue this fight in the absence of it. John, let me ask you in the, the one minute that we've got left in your, in your bio, they note something that has always stuck out with me. And that is that you have been working on a legal strategy for revisiting an issue in the courts. Everybody knows about citizens United, but there's only a few nerds out there that understand the real culprit here is a case called Buckley V Vallejo, which basically says money equals free speech. I don't think anything gets fixed until you fix the Buckley decision. You've got all of 30 seconds to tell me if anything is new or if anything can be done about that. I think the way we do it, Pat, at this point is a constitutional amendment to make clear that money doesn't equal speech. Corporations don't aren't treated as people mm -hmm. and that we have to reclaim our democracy and end this fiction that money is what uh, is, is equal to speech in, in America. I, I swear to God, if, if that was the one thing I could do right now, it would just be to do that. That corporations aren't people, that money doesn't equal speech, and it, it it's just that important. Um, John, thank you again uh, for, for speaking to us on behalf of Free Speech for the People. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. I enjoyed being with all of you. Thank you so much. All right. Speaking of Tiffany, coming up next, Toxic Tom Tiffany takes another pro-Russian vote in Congress. We'll be right back. You're up north. you enjoyed that song as much as we do uh, we want to thank our hosts at devil radio 927 also wauk 540 am and the shaw 101.1 fm you can use the devil radio app to listen to our show and on demand anytime and you can find the video version on the Facebook page of the Monaco Brewing Company. And you can find my daily work over at upnorthnewswi.com or search upnorthnewswi on Face page, the Interplace, and the Twitter machine and stay up to date. And now, <laughs> new this week, as some of you on the radio heard earlier, Up North News now has a daily update on these fine radio stations that host our show. You can hear my headlines uh, and commentary at uh, 7.30 in the morning, 5.30 in the evening, and whenever they feel like dropping it in. So if you're old enough to remember Paul Harvey's old news and commentary, you uh, might be happy to hear the format is making a comeback without being so conservative this time around. Kirk, it was a great music choice. Um, 
Russians was was a, a fabulous sting song for those of us who remember the truly bad days of the Cold War. And we thought that was all behind us until, you know, un, until we got to where we are today. Yeah. So Pat and Sarah, we're in a really weird place in America. I mean, we've been in a weird place in America for a while, but we're in a super weird place because there's a certain there's a handful of Republicans that basically since Putin invaded Ukraine have voted to assist Putin and hamstring Ukraine and hamstring NATO, hamstring the uh, Americans' ability to stop this brutal dictator, Putin, from doing anything. And Tom Tiffany is one of those guys. So I just wanted to tell you a couple of things he's voted on, and then we can all talk about it. But so last Tuesday was the biggest thing. Basically, it was a an easy an easy resolution 219 democrats and 143 republicans almost the entire congress cast votes in support of a non-binding resolution reaffirming unequivocal support for the north atlantic treaty organization which is nato as an alliance founded on democratic principles and calling on biden to push and establish a center for democratic resilience at nato almost the whole Congress, except for 63 Republicans who voted against NATO. I mean, NATO, they voted against NATO. And and Tom Tiffany, our illustrious congressman from the Northwoods, from five miles away from me, voted to support Putin. Like he even knows who Putin is. He probably does. But let's and, let's and let's that wasn't on. his first vote like this. Yeah. So the earlier even earlier and this includes our illustrious congressman glenn growthman as well almost similarly a troll to tom tiffany not quite as bad in my opinion but on march 9th the house passed a bill to suspend oil and gas imports from russia as part of the entire global embargo to stop a monster from invading another country just because he wanted to only 15 out of 200 Republicans, over 200 Republicans voted against embargoing Russian oil. And guess what? Tom Tiffany and Glenn Grothman were part of 15 congressmen. And guess who some of these other ones were? You Matt remember Gawthorn, their name. It's the who's Marjorie who. Taylor Green. Matt Getz, Louis Gohmert, Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Babert, Marjorie Taylor Green. The people that are being sued, along with the ones we're suing these guys for insurrection. It's like, what's with insurrection and supporting Putin? If you put the two and two together, you could create a lot of real, probably, conspiracy theories. So here's, yeah. here's, here's what I want to leave us with. Uh, if you go to upnorthnewswi.com, I put up a story today about Tiffany's vote yesterday. And there's some, there's some reading there that I've linked to. And, and, and goodness knows this radio station is, is not known or this podcast for supporting you know, conservative websites. I would urge you to look at the Bulwark, which is a website set up by Charlie Sykes. And has has several writers there, as we know. Sykes is a is a never Trumper, and there are some others there as well. And there is a great article there today about it's called Bill Salatin calls it Republicans who love Russia and hate America, and he basically calls out every Republican who is basically finding any reason they can to vote for Putin and against America. It's it's disgusting. It's disqualifying. 
Uh, and, and it just, it has no place in American democracy. Uh, so please uh, go read that. And, uh, you know, you don't need to just hear everything from us. With that, it's time for us to go. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you to our guests. Thank you for joining us at the cabin. Come on back up north next week. Watch this, watch this.